Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I've been scouring the headlines this morning about Gil Hodges entering the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Some say it's 50 years too late. Some say, you know, it's just he should have been in a long time ago. But the solace is every number on the rafter of City Field now, including, I believe, Keith Hernandez, is in the Hall of Fame. So, Lou Terminello, I turn to you because you're the Mets expert. You love the Mets. You followed them. I'm sure you were in the thick of it with 1969. First of all, to have every number up there now in the rafters, except for Kuzman, or is Kuzman in there? I, I don't know. Kuzman the part, is in there. Kuzman is retired. They put Kuz, they retired Kuzman's number last year, but Kuzman is not a Hall of Famer. But for the most part, a lot of those guys are in the Hall up there, and how does that make you feel as a Mets fan that across town you've got the Yankees touting all those guys, yet the few, few on that roof are in the Hall of Fame, and, of course, Gil Hodges joining the ranks is a big deal today. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Alex. I always appreciate being on with you. Um, uh, baseball teams, sports franchises view uh, retired numbers differently. Uh, some teams uh, will say that uh, the player has to achieve a something of great significance, like the Hall of Fame, uh, before they retire a number. Other teams don't. As you say, the Yankees seem to be a little bit more liberal in in retiring numbers, uh, in my opinion, probably a little, um, a little overboard with their number retiring. As a Mets fan, I think the Nets have been a little short in retiring numbers. You know, Jerry Kuzman's re- number was retired last year. Keith Hernandez's number was retired uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Gil Hodges, his number was retired the year after he passed away in 1973. And uh, was retired in, in uh, I think it was May, by the Dodgers, which is almost hard to believe that the Dodgers didn't retire uh, Gil Hodges' number earlier, considering uh, how much he's meant to their history, um, both in Brooklyn and in Los Angeles. Second year in Los Angeles, Gil Hodges was a starting first baseman on a team that won the World Series in Los Angeles against the Chicago White Sox. Um, yeah, so uh, as far as retired numbers go, it's, each team has a little bit different criteria. Um, you know, you can go either way on that. But uh, without Gil Hodges joining the Mets uh, as manager in 1968, uh, I don't know if the Mets win in 1969. Probably not. Uh, he was stern, forceful, fair, took hold of a young team that had a magnificent young pitching staff and uh, told them in spring training – you guys have a chance to win the division, which 
even the most diehard Met fan, because they were still in their expansion team era. Expansion teams in the 60s were different than expansion teams now. There was no free agency. Uh, you had to pick from a very small pool of talent, so you knew the team was going to be a loser for five or six years, and hopefully you build up your farm system during that time. And that's what the Mets did. You know, obviously, the gem was Tom Seaver, but Jerry Kuzman, Nolan Ryan, uh, they all contributed, uh, Bud Harrelson, they all contributed in 69, but without Gil Hodges, uh, I don't think the Mets win. I, I well, really don't. I think it's also fitting this comes in the 60-year anniversary of the Mets. I mean, and then this week alone, you know, everybody's thinking about 1969, if you follow this week, the moon landing anniversary, so it's really been a throwback kind of week, if you will. Absolutely, and it's funny, I remember the day of the moon landing, the Mets were in Montreal, and uh, uh, I believe they they lost the first game to the to the expansion Expos, and they came back to win uh, the second game, and then uh, after we watched that double header on Channel 9, because in those days, 135, 145 Met games were televised locally over the air, free TV. Uh, we all uh, watched uh, the moon landing that night. So, uh, yes, that was a that was a wonderful summer for me personally. Um, as a kid growing up in high school, uh, the Mets were a day in and day out story that uh, that that year. Now I know here her his daughter is going to induct him today, which is special, but. I also remember in pop, you know ceremonies at Shea Stadium, didn't his what, widow Joan sometimes come to games? I remember she was yes. very involved. With yes, Joan is still alive. She's still alive. She's 95. She's still alive, um, but she's unable to travel to Cooperstown, and that's why uh, his daughter, and I believe her name is Irene, is going to give the speech today. Um, but uh, but Joan I remember she was at a lot of events back in the day. Yes, mm-hmm. and Joan was obviously a big, big, big proponent of Gil getting into the Hall of Fame and was disappointed year in and year out. Uh, and it, it's really uh, it's really strange how these Hall of Fame voters put some guys in and some guys don't. Um, I believe that, that uh, Gil Hodges should have been in the Hall of Fame many, many years ago. I mean, some of the guys who who are in the Hall of Fame, I'm not, I'm not going to start picking on certain people, but there are people who really, you look at their achievements and uh, uh, you say, wow, why is this guy in the Hall of Fame? But uh, uh, Gil got there, at least he got there today, um, but uh, it's he should have been there a long time ago. Lou, let's talk about that season unfolding, because obviously they beat the Orioles, but it just seems like from all the highlights, they had magical time after time out there in Flushing, um, and you got to believe became the phrase of the day back then. Well, um, that was in the pitching era, and the, the Mets, as they were going through that expansion era, remember they started in 62, and you saw it in 67. Um, Siva was a rookie. He won the rookie of the year. The Mets still lost 101 games that year. Um, but Seba won Rookie of the Year, um, and uh, he was 16 and 13. Harrelson came up, so that he, and he was a great defensive shortstop. Obviously, he wasn't a great offensive shortstop like we have today, but the game was different. The game was a pitching-dominated game, so much so that 
uh, after the 1968 season. The 1969 season was the first year that the pitching mound was lowered from 15 to 10 inches because the pitchers were so dominant in 68. Um, but you saw that the Mets were, you know, were starting to get some young players. And uh, then in 68, uh, uh, Kuzman came. He won 19 games. And he missed uh, Rookie of the Year by one vote to the great Johnny Bench. It was so tight, the rookie of the year, that one writer split his vote between Kuzman and Bench. Um, so uh, the Mets traded for Tommy Agee. Tommy Agee was beamed in 1968 during, in spring training by Bob Gibson. So his 1968 year was basically a waste. Uh, he batted 217 or something like that. Um, but the next year... He was recovered, probably had a concussion. You know, nowadays he might have been out for the whole year with a concussion, but uh, the medical technology wasn't what it is today. Um, but in 1969, A.G. hit 26 home runs, played the played great center field, and 26 home runs in 1969 was the equivalent of 40 today. Um, so, uh, and Cleon Jones, that bad 340 that year uh he uh was a terrific right-handed hitter and and gil hodges managed the club expertly i mean there was only two players who played every day well three players excuse me jerry grody the great defensive catcher um cleon in left and uh and uh aging center excuse me four and you had harrelson shortstop but at second first third and right it was a platoon system Right field, you had uh, Swoboda and Archamsky. Uh, at second base, you had Al Weiss, who had a big 1969 World Series, and Ken Boswell, the le- left-hand hitter. Um, at third base, uh, uh, you had you had Wayne Garrett. Uh, you had uh, uh, infielders like Bobby File. You had the glider, Red Charles, as the right-handed batter, uh, the veteran presence that they needed. Um, and at first, you know, at first base, uh, you know, Cranepool. Uh, was the left-handed hitter, and uh, he just platooned a lot. And the Mets had a pretty deep team, and they had a good bullpen. Uh, McGraw, Ron Taylor, um, Danny Frisella. And Gil knew how to, how to manipulate and manage them uh, expertly. And um, like I said, without, without Gil's leadership, uh, I'm not sure that that miracle would have happened. There was a the Mets were the Mets were reeling downward and it didn't look it looked like they were going to have a great year but they were not going to, they were not ready to finish first. So this was a uh, middle of August it could have been like August maybe around August 14th or 15th somewhere in there. They played a doubleheader against the Houston Astros at at Shea. They got walloped in both games. In the second game, uh, Cleon Jones kind of loafed after a ball in, in the outfield. Gil called time, not to take out the pitcher, to take out Cleon Jones. And uh, he sent a message to the team that uh, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You got to hustle to the end. And uh, that, ha- that was a, a lasting mark as the team ended up going 38 and 11. They last 49 games. Uh, I'm almost sure it was 38 and 11. Uh, they went from nine and a half games out to winning the division by nine games. Uh, they swept the two-game series against the Cubs at home in early, uh, in early September. Kuzman with a complete game, uh, the famous black cat game. 
um, where a black cat walked in front of the Cubs dugout. <laughs> Uh, it was a mag- it was a magical season. It was one of the, it, it was one of those those situations in sports, whether it's baseball or whatever sport, it it's unforgettable. There could be other great seasons, but you never forget that one because there were just so many unforgettable things. And uh, go yeah. kept mine even keel. Well, and uh, you know the other thing I was thinking of is that that '69 team was just a, a team of of regular guys. They weren't these egomaniacs that we see now. And I think that's why Queens took to them a little more. Just besides the winning, they, they were likable guys. And Buddy Harrelson's always been a likable guy. Like, I've met him multiple times. Like, what a stand-up guy. And that was the 69 Mets, right? They were just a stand-up team. Absolutely. The 69 Mets, the Mets won in 69. They contended till September in 70. And then they lost, uh, they lost, like, Six out of eight to the Pirates, who eventually won a division. Very good Pirate team. Um, then the Mets won in 73 uh, with, with Yogi Berra as, as their manager. But the loss of Gil Hodges to the heart attack and something else that in Mets history is overlooked. Larry Murphy, their general manager, had died. John, excuse me, Johnny Murphy uh, had died a couple years earlier. He was an architect of putting the team together. Losing a general manager and Gill in a matter of a couple of years really killed what uh, what should have been the Mets being a dominant team, at least through the early part of 70s. I mean, dominant. Uh, they made the, uh, uh, the general managers that followed Murphy made some bad decisions. They weren't qualified. Um, they lost Whitey Herzog. Uh, Whitey Herzog was uh, the Mets' uh, farm director, and uh, he had other positions in the organization. And when Gil Hodges died, it was just assumed that Whitey Herzog was going to become the manager. He didn't. And uh, they gave it to Yogi, who was a good manager, but Whitey Herzog obviously uh, reached greater heights uh, with the Cardinals and and with the Royals. Um, So... History would have been might have been different if if Murphy and Gill didn't die. But there's a lot of things you could say that about uh, uh, during the course of time. I'm I'm just right now I had a tragic heart attack, and um, I remember I remember it. I remember the day. Talk to you about that day. I, I you know it, there was a player lockout, the first ever player lockout, strike lockout, whatever you want to call it, it was a work stoppage. And um, the season was already started. I think it was the first weekend of April, and I think it was Gill and the coaches playing golf in in Florida. I think it was what they were in West Palm Beach, and uh, he got a heart attack, and um, he uh, didn't make it. And um, that uh, was a sad, sad day. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And um, the Mets had a good year. They were 86 and 76 in, uh, in, in 72. Um, they had made a, they'd made a trade during that time when, uh, when uh, Gil got the heart attack. Gil obviously, I'm, I'm not even sure if Gil knew about the trade, but the trade was announced either the day, a couple of days after that uh, Gil died for getting for Rusty Stiles, uh, oh. for Ken Singleton, for Mike Jorgensen, and Tim, and Tim Foley. And uh, Rusty was a terrific Met. The Mets got off to a great start under Yogi in, in, seven, in 72. But, uh, it, you know, it went, I remember in those days, if you didn't finish first in your division, you didn't make it to playoffs. Um, so, uh, you know, it was that, that, that was a that was a, a very looking back. That was a very, which I say, a telltaling time in Mets history. You could always yeah. say, "What if? What if? What if Bill yeah. Hahn died?" I yeah. know you have some gripes with the way the Mets organization has handled Seaver, but with Gill, do you think they've kept his memory, his spirit, his? I do. Alive or, or no? I, I, no, I think they, 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 in that, with Gil, they've done a good job. I do. I mean, they retired his number immediately. Um, and they kept, his, they kept his memory alive. Um, and, the Met, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Tom Seaver. I mean, J- July 24th, 1988, uh, 34 years ago today, I was at Shea Stadium when they retired Seaver's number. Um, he had just retired... Uh, two years earlier, and uh, officially retired a year earlier because he actually tried to make a comeback with the Mets, but his knee was his knee was too badly injured. And um, the thing is, after the receiver's number was retired, then the stature should have gone up. Not not uh, this month. The stature is great; it's beautiful. But it should it, that was thirty years overdue. But uh, you know, that's how it goes. I understand that uh, one of Seaver's Family members, I think one of, I think one of his daughters is going to be uh, in Cooperstown today. And if you and if uh, Siva was alive today, he would say, without Gill, Mets don't Mets don't win in '69. But he well, told them in his speech because I'm sure he mentions them in his Hall of Fame speech. Oh, I'm sure he does. Yep. And Do Tom Siva was the most oh. consistent pitcher I ever saw. But you can. Do I'm you sorry. No, do you think Gil would have been an amazing manager today? Because as I said, he didn't deal with egos on that team, it seemed like. I mean, they were uh, just a group that put their head down and played. Now you got guys looking at the freaking ball as they hit it. They just pump their fist every strikeout. It just gets ridiculous. Could he have handled these guys well in the culture of today? I would say, I would say yes. I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Buck Showalter. But Buck Showalter has a respect to the players. To me, Buck Showalter is the reason why the Mets are contending uh, today. Uh, he treats them like men. Remember, Gil Hodges, I believe, won 
the bronze uh, star because I, he was I, he was in Okinawa for sure uh, in the Battle of Okinawa um, and uh, so uh, he had that military background he had that soft but firm demeanor yeah and I think he would he would thrive today I do uh, the players would respect him. What role? Because I, I keep thinking of Tug McGraw because he was a big part of that, and of course he went to Philly after. But I mean, he was just another solid piece, and I'm sure he would say the same thing about Bill today. But talk about Tug for a minute because he was a real big part of that era there. Yeah, now it, it's funny you talk about the difference between the way baseball is played nowadays than it was 50 years ago. Um, in take a look at the 1969 World Series. Uh, Tug McGraw didn't pitch one inning in the 1969 World Series. He pitched in the NL Championship Series uh, against the Braves, which the Mets swept. But um, game game one, Stever pitched in uh, the first seven innings. He lost. He pitched in the first seven in- innings. Um, game two, uh, Kuzman went eight and two thirds innings of two hit ball, and Ron Ron Taylor got the third out uh, of the ninth inning of a two to one Mets win. Um, game game three, uh, game game three, the Mets the Mets won, and uh, it was a combination of Gary Gentry, and the last two and two thirds innings was pitched by Nolan Ryan. Uh, I got to say, just, uh, game four, Seager pitches a ten inning complete game. Game five, Kuzman pitches a, a, a complete game, and the Mets winning four games to one. So the, 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 the games were different. Then in 73, uh, when McGraw had even established himself more as the bullpen guy, he pitched every day uh, down the stretch. I mean, and I don't mean one-third of an inning. He would pitch two and a third inning one day, uh, one and two-thirds innings the next day, three innings the next day. He pitched until his arm fell off. And he was remarkable down the stretch of 73. The Mets were beat up in 73. And literally, uh, they beat up uh, Pete Rose, or they, you know, they, that's, well, that's right. They beat, they beat up Pete Rose. But in '73, Mets suffered major injuries. They didn't have a deep team. They didn't have a great offensive team, carried by pitching. Seaver won the Cy Young in '73 again. And uh, uh, if the division wasn't weak, which it was, the Mets wouldn't have gotten a second chance to get back in a race and and, and win the division. Uh, and eventually beat a very, very historical, what would be a historically great Cincinnati Reds team uh, by the time their their dynasty was over, in, you know, in 77, 78. After they won in 75 and 76, they upset the Reds. They were upset the Reds because of because of pitching. And, well, let me uh, ask you this. Black Cat game is interesting because I thought the Cubs and Mets were neck and neck in that race at that time. That's correct. At that time, they were neck and neck. And mm-hmm. that just shows you how far we are from that because, as you say, with all these divisions now and three wild cards, I, it's, it's just you don't get that kind of um, thing where you're literally competing for the same division. And I, I kind of wish I was around to see that because that would be every team. seemed like from the Northeast to sort of Chicago, St. Louis, and then the, after that was the West. Is that how that went? Or Right. Well, the the American League and National League wanted to split the divisions in '69. The, the uh, American League went more geographical. The National League went more balance, a competitive balance with the teams at the time. Atlanta and Cincinnati, which were east of Chicago and St. Louis, 
were in the West Division of the National League. Um, Chicago and St. Louis, which uh, were, uh, were in the National League East. So geographically, um, that was different than the American League, which went right down geographically geographic lines they put the the chicago white Sox were not in the american league east they were in the american league west um hey, but the chicago what? cups were in the national league east if the usc and what if they can uh play in the big 10 now i mean anything's possible but, well yeah that's true <laughs> but 50 years ago that was that you know that was like a head scratch um so but it it it, it led to great a great rivalry between the mets and the cubs and uh Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, do you think that his – well, get to that rivalry for one second because my dad's a huge Cub fan, so he'd want to hear – he probably remembers it as well as you do, actually. Right, well, Leo DeRocher, obviously a great manager, managed the Dodgers, managed the Giants. He later managed the Astros, but uh, he managed the Dodgers in Brooklyn. He managed the Giants in, in New York. Um, he was the Cubs manager. The Cubs at that time only played day baseball. There was no lights in Wrigley Field until 1988. Um, They played the same eight guys every day, unlike the Mets, who played the, like I said, Gil Platoon. The Mets played basically 23 out of 25 men on a rotating basis. Uh, Many people believe that the Cubs playing the same eight guys for the most part every day in day baseball in the summertime kind of wore them out. And the Cubs had a terrific team. They had Ron Santo, Hall of Famer, Ernie Banks, Hall of Famer, Billy Williams, Hall of Famer, smack in the middle in that lineup. Don Kessinger was their shortstop, excellent. Glenn Beckert, an excellent second baseman. Randy Hunley, father of future Met Todd Hunley, uh, a couple, you know, 20 years later, was their catcher. They had a terrific pitching staff, Hall of Famer, Ferguson Jenkins, uh, Bill Hands, a New Jersey boy. Uh, they, uh, they had a really good team, but they fell apart after, after uh, middle of August, they, they just felt the Mets breath breathing down their neck and uh, they couldn't handle them. I got to ask you this because obviously Gary Cohen and Howie Rose were Queens boys. They romanticized 1969. So but as a Jersey kid, is that romanticization for you different? Than them because they were really in the heart of this, or did you feel no, the same? No, 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 not not different at all. I mean, uh, as the Mets theme song says, "East Side, West Side, wherever you are, you, you felt it." Um, and uh, uh, yeah, being being a, a Jersey boy, being in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is you could see the New York skyline from. From where I grew up, uh, you, you, uh, you, 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 you felt it. I didn't know that. Pardon me. You and Frank, you and Frank Sinatra grew up in the same well, town. Yeah, he's he's the he's the most he's the most famous uh, uh, Hoboken uh, birth. Maybe I'm maybe I'm like uh, about five hundred. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, you, you felt it. We felt it. All my all the all the friend, my met friends in the neighborhood felt it. it you you felt it. Even people who who aren't Mets fans were were connected to it. It became that it became that kind of thing. It was it was the thing about baseball, about pennant races, especially like in those days. It was tense, like we said a couple of minutes ago. Well, you can't say, well, if we don't finish first, we're going to make the playoffs anyway. No, it was intense because every game was its own story. 
you had to finish first. It was intense. It was nerve-wracking. And it was fun. Well, uh, let me ask you this, because you mentioned all the time. What about the television radio? It was, I feel like Bob Murphy and Lindsay were just required listening back in those days. Well, Bob, Bob, Bob Murphy, Lindsay Nelson, and Ralph Kiner became our pals. We, because remember, they did radio and TV. There's no separate crews like you see today. I almost wish it was, they would go back to those days. Um, if uh, We'll just say if, if Nelson started off and did the first three innings on Channel 9, uh, he would do the middle three innings on radio, and then Murphy would do the final three. But they, all, they rotated throughout the entire game. Um, so uh, I kind of like that scenario better. But uh, I guess, uh, you know, times change. You know, now some of these teams have – Ten, ten uh, different uh, broadcasters. I'm not and big on that. And about how much money Joe Buck's making. Like, this is crazy. The, the announcers are glorified. And, you know, this is why I love Gary, Keith, and Ron, because they're just down-to-earth, you know, pals still, in my view. They're still your pals. Yeah, well, they, they, they have good chemistry. There's no question about it. Gary, Keith, and Ron have good chemistry. Obviously, Gary, being a Mets fan all his life, he has uh, an emotional connection to the team. Um, so, uh, and of course, Hernandez and, and, and Darling being members of, not, I mean, they, they should have won more than one championship and that's a story for another day because they were that good and they were that much better than everybody else, uh, in that period from 84 to 90. Um, but, uh, you know, they were on the best Mets teams of all time. The day that the Mets got Keith Hernandez which I was shocked when the Mets made that trade because I said, okay, we knew we had some issues with, with uh, substance abuse, and I guess that's why the Cardinals traded them. But the day that the Mets got Keith on June 15, 1983, which in those days was a trade deadline, not, not at the end of July like it is now, um, uh, to the time he left the Mets, the Mets had the best record in baseball. They should well, have won more than one time. But that's I know. I told you that off air multiple times. Just you know, eighty six and then eighty eight was another one that they win the division, and then it just didn't happen in the postseason. Um, does Gil Hodges does he inspire generations of Queens athletes after the fact? Does he just inspire this borough from sixty nine? Like he left that much of a mark that an I would say. I would say so. And, I would say Queens and any of and any of the Brooklyn people that are still connected, who have lived there, who who gen- pass from generation to generation. I would say yes, because the Brooklyn Dodgers in the fifties. I know I know they only won one championship in fifty five, and then they won in fifty nine when they were out in their second year in Los Angeles with basically the same Brooklyn group. Um, but from forty seven uh, to uh, to fifty seven. The Dodgers won in – well, let's go back. In 46, the Dodgers and Cardinals finished first, tied. But the, uh, the Cardinals beat them in the, in the tiebreaker playoff. The Dodgers won the, the National League pennant in 47. They lost to the Yankees. They won it in 49. They lost to the Yankees. In 50, they lost the pennant by one game on the last day of the season to the Phillies. In 51, they blew the big lead in August to the Giants. 
and lost the three-game playoff to the Giants. In 52, they won the pennant. In 53, they won the pennant. In 55, they won the pennant and their, ever, their first ever World Series against the Yankees. In 56, they won the pennant. They lost to the Yankees in seven. That's an amazing run. And then for that team to leave Brooklyn because uh, the city wouldn't, wouldn't give them the stadium, and again, that's also a story for another day. I mean, that's an amazing run. And that's the romanticism that people to this day have with that, with that Brooklyn Dodger franchise for those, those 10, 12 years. And Gil was part of it. Here is what I've understood. Pardon me? O'Malley could have kept them here is what I've been under the understanding of the last uh, that it's not it's that it's not that easy. Robert Moses played a big, big, big part in basically forcing O'Malley out. And then O'Malley got free land from the city of Los Angeles, but he didn't want to go. He did everything he could to, to stay. But that like I said, that's a story for that's a story for another day, I guess. But, but it uh, really is all connected because then you have Fred Wilpon who grew up around this whole era and mm-hmm. people get mad at him for making the Robinson Rotunda, but in a way, just like he tried to carry Gill's legacy, I think, as owner of the Mets at the time, or you know, years later, uh, he wanted to just carry that whole era with him into the city field. So my next question is does the rotunda bother you? It doesn't bother me. I don't know why people give it Well the Jackie Robinson Rotunda doesn't bother me uh do i do, do i think it would have been better if it was named after tom siever or gil hodges i would say yes and they could have still honored jackie robinson because jackie robinson is universal to baseball uh but i, well, I don't have a problem when i walk into city field and i walk into the jackie robinson jackie robinson rotunda to get to my seat and go up that and go up that escalator i don't feel oh man this is this is not right no it's it's fine but uh, what about the Ebbets Field what, obsession? Does that bother you or no? I'm sorry. The Ebbets Field obsession, which we clearly see with City Field. I mean, he he wanted to look like Ebbets Field. That, I, I, that does not that does not bother me. That that doesn't. I mean, uh, the stadium is beautiful. Yes, it looks a little, looks a little bit like Ebbets Field from the outside. Um, that doesn't bother me. What what bothers me is sometimes the Mets have been late into honoring their past. And I think, thanks to our friend Jay Horowitz, who is the, the uh, alumni relations vice president for the Mets, I think he's trying to uh, rectify that, especially now with Steve Cohen as the owner. And I'm not blaming the Wilpons. The Mets were just, they couldn't make a decision on, on which way to go. Like I said to you a little while ago, I think the Yankees go overboard. Do I think Paul O'Neill needs deserve to have his number retired? I don't. He was a terrific player. Number retired. Posada, number retired. Bernie Williams, number retired. I don't think so. That's just me. That's just my opinion. Well, uh, really, they, they they had the impact, but it wasn't the two, three, four, and uh, well, they were great. One they, they were outstanding but, players. Don't get me wrong. They were outstanding players, but you know the Yankees are the gold standard of baseball franchises, of baseball history. Um, Babe Ruth has his number retired. Joe DiMaggio has his number retired. Mickey Mantle has his number retired. Whitey Ford has his number retired. Derek Jeter has his number retired. Those are, you can't put Posada, Williams, uh, Paul O'Neill on that level. That's, that's, just, that's, just my, that's just my two cents. But again, everybody does it to have different criteria. 
The Yankees have won what? 42, 41, 42 pennants. Their success, their success story is unmatched in, in baseball since, uh, since they got Babe Ruth in, in, 19, in, uh, the, the 1920 season. Uh, so, uh, you know, everybody, everybody looks at it differently. Um, well, I gotta say this. As you know, the Viscardi School and the 1969 Mets had a very close connection. You had Seaver going out there, you had, through Iris Katz, actually. Um, the sister of Fred Wilpon. So I gotta give that, them kudos for being in the community years later. Tom Seaver, Buddy Harrelson, Ed Charles. I mean, those are the big three that I can think of that came out to Viscardi. So, not only were they great on the field, they were in the community, Lou. I think people mm-hmm. don't realize that. You see, another thing you go back, you're right about the community, and that's another reason why Gil Hodges was loved. Gil Hodges' house was right in Brooklyn uh, with him and his wife and his kids, and when he, came, and when he went to, uh, when the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles, he kept his house in Brooklyn. And uh, when he became manager of the Mets, he, he, stayed, he was there. It's not like he moved to uh, Long Island, uh, you know, to the North Shore or to, uh, to Westchester County or to Bergen County, New Jersey. He stayed there. And I think, you know, that, uh, that's a connection that, that, Gil, that Gil has with, with the public, uh, not only in Brooklyn, but with the public in the metropolitan area. He was kind of a regular guy for all he accomplished. Like I said, I think he was a bronze medal recipient. Um, and all yeah, these guys I mean, were kind of regular, if you will, because I don't know if it was the same in '69, but I know in the '50s these guys had second jobs. Okay, they they that's right. Like they walk to the park carrying their cleats, and then they play ball. They're not getting these million dollar jets unless you're Juan Soto, who has to take a trip to the LA because he turned down the Nationals. Don't get me started about that. Whole thing. <laughs> but back in the day, they had second jobs. I think some of the guys were actually lawyers. An accountant, Bobby Brown, um, was actually, I think, you know, he was not just a ball player. Uh, so a lot of these guys were not just players back in the day. Oh, you're right. I mean, uh, look at one of the, uh, the greats of that team, Roy Campanella, the catcher, who never got to Los Angeles a, a month before uh, 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 spring training was going to start. Their first year as the Los Angeles Dodgers, they, were, they still trained in Vero Beach, Florida. He had his own liquor store, and he was driving home on an icy January night, got into that terrible car accident, and was paralyzed for the rest of his life. Again, uh, I don't think Juan Soto is going to be doing that uh, now or when he gets his next contract. And again, God bless these guys for uh, uh, being in this era and getting as much money as they can. It's pretty bad taste for the Nationals not to charter him to L.A. I think that's just... How do you not do that? I don't care if you turn him down or not. That that's just he turned me down or not. That's just uh, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, and even the A's in charge of their all star. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, the A's uh, the A's didn't, and the Astros said, "Why don't you just jump on Entrada and we'll take you." Yeah. And so niceness of that team, I really don't like. Anyway, uh, the Astros. I mean, anyway, this has been fun, and I, I hope that people enjoy this walk down memory lane. Now, the last piece to all this was three years ago they do the whole 50th anniversary at city field and uh that was just a special day i don't know if you got to make it or not but that was i was not in i wasn't not in attendance that night but i do remember it and buddy harrelson who is now you know his health is declining but he was Mm -hmm. there they honored nolan oh that's the thing 
Nolan Ryan becomes the guy after the Mets, and, and everybody's like, why did you trade him? And it's, I'm sure people in that era still are wondering why they traded Nolan Ryan. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very, very honest with you. Most Mets fans, that was, Ryan was with the Mets five years, and um, he always shown those France flashes of brilliance. And when the Mets, when the trade was made, the Mets weren't really that criticized. Like, what are they doing? Even myself, as a Mets fan, and he got traded in the in the winter of '71, going to the '72 season. Um, so I was uh, I was in, I was a freshman in college, and I, I said, okay, but it's for they got in return. They got Jim Fergosi, who was an All Star shortstop, and they wanted him to play third base. But Jim Fergosi in uh, the last year and a half had declined rapidly as a ball player. He was a disaster as a Met. His range was gone. His power was gone. Um, if they had traded Nolan Ryan for uh, Richie Allen, uh, who was the MVP in 72 for the Phillies, I mean, he just got traded from the Phillies to the White Sox. Um, you know that that w- that would have been different, uh, but he was a former Phil, a former Cardinal, and but it's who the Mets got in return. They got nobody in return for this great pitcher, this unique pitcher, um, and you know his first year with the for, with, with the Angels, he threw a no hitter. I think he threw two no hitters. I think he threw one in Kansas City and one in Detroit in '72. Went on to throw seven no hitters. You know, just a very unique pitcher who was taught by Mets pitching coach, former Brooklyn Dodger, mm-hmm. he made of Gil Hodges, Rube Walker, and all those Mets pitchers, Seaver, Kuzman, uh, Nolan Ryan, Gary Gentry, they all threw the same way using their, their bottom trunk, their legs, to generate their pitching efficiency. Yeah. And unfortunately, Nolan Ryan's pitching efficiency came after he left the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and would last really long into, into 1991. Hey, Lou, uh, one other thing, are the Mets going to keep this division lead, the current day Mets, because they're now literally, the Braves are only a half a game out now after this weird series against the Padres. I don't know. I think it's the Heat. I was thinking the Mets might win at least one or two, but they just look lackluster right now. The, the Mets look a little, a little lackluster, a little tired. They're not hitting. They didn't hit even when they won three out of four against the Cubs last week. They did win one, the first game 8 nothing. But the, uh, the other two games that they did win, they were struggling uh, at the bat. Um, uh, they, they do look a little tired. Um, I do think you're going to see something in the next 10 days. They've added a bat with, with, with the kid from Pittsburgh, Vogelbach, uh, He's he's just a, a left-handed hitter. He can't hit lefty, so he only play against righties. But Met DH is a batting 217 going into last going into last night's game. So the DH position, which we all thought coming into the season was going to be a positive for the Mets, with Dominic Smith from the left side and and JD Davis from the right side, has has not come to fruition. And so the Mets are going to have to upgrade. That's why they made that trade with the Pirates. And I think they're going to make another trade. I think they are. Um, I mean, they, they have to. They, they uh, got. They got to increase the offense. Forget this. You know, 
how many times are you going to send Smith down before he gets it right? It seems like he's struggling this year, uh, a little bit more than other years. But you just mentioned at the bat, and I have to ask you one more thing. Casey at the bat. Okay, so the Mets fan base are spoiled with Casey. They love him, the Stangalese. Then there's a bit of a lull until 68 when Hodges comes in. But tell me, was there symmetry? Was there a connection, a synchronicity between Stangle and Hodges? Well, when the Mets when the, when the Mets became an expansion team, um, obviously there had been no National League baseball in New York for four seasons. The Dodgers and Giants left at the end of the '57 season. So, so the Mets and they only had a pool of 15 players to choose from. It's like I said, it's not like today. Yeah, the Mets and the Astros, the Angels and the Senators, which joined the American League the year before, the, uh, they had a very small talent pool to to pick from. So. Uh, George Weiss, who was a former Yankee general manager, became the Mets general manager. He started picking players that the fans knew. They picked Charlie Neal, former Brooklyn Dodgers second baseman, Gil Hodges, um, uh, Gene Woodling, former Yankee uh, outfielder. And you go right down the line. Now, they, Richie Ashburn, who actually still who had a very good – the Mets were 40 and 120. Richie Ashburn had a great year for the Mets. But – they uh, what they did was they brought these players that uh, the fans could recognize because nationally baseball in New York was king, even though the Yankees were the best team. But because you had those two teams, the Dodgers and the Giants, usually battling it out almost every year, that the, for the fans, especially post World War II, um, you know, nationally baseball was was uh, was king. So they brought these guys in and. I don't obviously they didn't play uh, they didn't play these guys to lose under twenty games. I think they thought, and you could even some of the uh, players who were on that first team thought that they were going to be pretty good just because on name only. But name only goes so far because father time stops for no one, and they were all over the hill. I mean, I think they probably thought they were going to win like sixty five games. They won forty. Um, yes, and the manager that they picked was Casey Single, who had been let go after the Yankees lost Game 7 to the Pirates on a famous Mazeroski home run. Um, Casey Single, uh, the Yankees thought, at the age of 70, was too old to manage a team. So they let him go. The Mets picked him up because Casey Single was New York. And uh, he, was, he was New York. So you say, was there a connection? Is there some kind of symmetry? Symmetry between Casey Stingle and Gil Hodges? I would say yes, because of the, what the golden era of New York baseball from post World War II through uh, you know through the mid '60s, you know until '64 when you know the Yankees lost to the Cardinals in seven, and then they went on that long drought uh, before they won in in '76. They went to the World Series and then won the World Series in '77, '78. Yeah, I do think I do think there's a connection, symmetry, you know, whatever know, label you want to put on it. They knew each other a little bit, didn't they, Gil and, and Well, he and ma- remember remember Casey Madge in the first uh, year, uh, yeah. the first year in the month. Gil Gil was drafted by the Mets uh, in the expansion draft. I believe he got the first hit in Met history on April 11, 1962, an 11-4 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis, and uh, then I I want to say at the end of May. Of 63, um, the Washington Senators, another expansion team, came to the Mets and said, we want to make Gill our manager. 
So Gill went from the playing field right into the dugout to become uh, to become the uh, Senators manager, and the Mets actually had to make a trade in in uh, six in '67 at the end of the '67 season when they fired Wes Westrom, um, who had also had New York ties. He was a New York Giants catcher in the '50s. Uh, they had to make a trade. I think they sent $100,000 and the player, and I remember the player well, it was a pitcher by the name of Bill Dennehy, who later became a sports announcer, uh, I believe in Arizona, uh, but I believe he was from around here. He might have been from Connecticut. Um, and uh, $100,000 and Bill Dennehy, uh, because Hodges was still under contract with the Senators, and uh, that's how Hodges became Mets manager in 1968. Uh, Mike Vaccaro, uh, in today's post, yeah. talked about that. Um, and he said that the Senators first asked for $100,000 and Tom Seaver. <laughs> and the Mets said no. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, what a turning yep. point that would have been. All right, yep. uh, Lou, this has been a real treasure. And I said, let's do five minutes. And we know those conversations aren't always five minutes. So thank you. But I gotta ask you one more thing. People listening sure. might want to know how the hell does he have this recall fifty years later? Like, I, you've got brain health there, Lou. You've got, you know, you've got it well, going. You've got the recall there. Well, I, I I appreciate that. It was a goal. It's I love sports. Uh, it was a I love sports history. Uh, and uh, the summer of '69 was uh, just memorable for me. And uh, you know, and, and I thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to, uh, to to talk about those days. I couldn't think of anybody else to talk about uh, on like last minute, especially. But I said I, we got to talk about this because I know Lou would be have all the have the answers that I that I was uh, hoping to hear. So thanks again, sir. And we will have you on again for sure. Anytime, I'm always there. Just give me a buzz. Thank you, Alex. You do a great job. Thank you, sir. I'm Alex Garrett. We're always adapting and. Lou's got a story of adapting. I'll maybe ask him about one day. I'll have to ask him off air if he's comfortable sharing it. But for now, he's our sports guy, and I love that. And he's just a, beyond sports, he's just a, reg, a great dude, and uh, I always love our conversations. I'm Alex Garrett. Stay tuned for more.